Welcome to another edition of the Dementia Care Partner Talk Show. Now, here's dementia care expert Tifa Snow and your host, Greg Phelps. Hello and welcome to the Dementia Care Partners podcast series. My name is Greg Phelps and uh, joining me once again, Tifa Snow. And Tifa, day after day after day, we're hearing reports about isolation and loneliness and disasters in long-term care facilities because of the uh, pandemic. Um, reading a recent study here, those in their 90s have about a 25% risk of mortality if infected, those in their 80s about 15%. But the stories that really make the news are the ones where the disease gets in and, and takes out about half the population. So it, it's top of mind for everyone. Uh, and I, I imagine it's the same in the U.S. as it is here in Canada. It's, it's terrible. It is. I mean, uh, up until very recently, people in long-term care and residential care were accounting for over 40 to 45 percent of all deaths. Um, they were accounting for over 50 percent of all illnesses that were showing symptoms. So it were people that were developing symptoms. Um, and so those were important figures and details. What we're finding now though, is that um, those folks are also high risk for some other things that aren't COVID, but they're COVID related, which well, is an interesting finding. Yeah, so it, it turns out that loneliness and depression, and, and maybe you could explain to me if there is such a thing as, as difference, uh, but it seems that that is having an equally, if not more, of an of a impact on the seniors than, than even the disease itself. Yeah, so yeah, there's this really scary uh, piece of information. Number one, one of the reasons that people might be, some reason that people might be more at risk for COVID is that being alone and feeling abandoned um, feeling that there's no point or purpose to continuing on, feeling that you don't have value, being angry and frustrated all the time, feeling scared or vulnerable all the time. Any of those conditions actually cause your immune system to deplete. So your immune system is actually weakening the more you feel those things. So your emotions drive chemicals in your brain and those chemicals drive the immune system. And so what's happening is simply by not having the classic and, and, and preferred stimulation and contact and activities, what we're seeing is people are starting to succumb um, to not just COVID, but just other health conditions. So diabetes is having a greater impact. Heart disease is having a greater impact. Parkinson's because there's nothing that gives value to living at the same rate and then not having connections and contacts and activities that you enjoy and opportunities to go out and be, be active um, is actually causing great harm in the population. Now, we, we've been speaking about it with a fairly broad brush there, but if, if we drill it down just a little bit to, to persons living with dementia, is, is it worse or, or is it better? Because some people might say, well, they're sort of oblivious to the change. <laughs> and they'd be totally mistaken because the guidelines for isolation keep us from engaging people the way we would classically engage people. So for instance, Greg, if I was in your room and you said, Hey, I would classically go, well, hey, Greg, and I'd come over and shake your hand and tell you hello and say, so how have you been doing? 
But now my goal is to get in, get your room cleaned and get out. So I get very task focused. And even if you see me, you see me doing things, but it's a passive observation. And if you say, hey, I'll say, hey, back. But with my mask on and my gloves on and my gown on, I may not look like somebody who's interested in an interaction and I might be a little scary. So it doesn't reinforce engagement in any way. So I'm not rehearsing, the person's not rehearsing their skills at all. So inadvertently we're taking away the connection, the stimulation that they need. Yeah. And if we think about it in facilities, often people are trying, people are keeping people in their rooms. And so the common space is no longer common. You're not supposed to use that space. You're not supposed to go out in that space. What that means is the part of my brain that allows me to um, do wayfinding and go from place to place. And every time I go to a new place, it's sort of like a little zinger in my brain. Oh, look, a dining room. Oh, look, a hallway. Oh, look, an elevator that data causes my brain to fire up. And then it's like, oh, elevator buttons. Let me look around. Where do I push the buttons? Oh, look, it says dining room first floor. And then when I see it, I can do something and I can go somewhere. Um, And even if I get turned around, look, a person, hey, could you help me get back to my room? That's a social engagement. And so if what I'm doing is just staying in one place, I'll either get intensely interested in that space and tear things apart, take things apart, do things that maybe aren't so safe nor helpful, or I don't do anything. I just drowse, which means even my sleep might be impacted um, because drowsing is different than sleeping. What, uh, what just hit me as you were speaking, Deepa, is that there's a, a, a very sort of eerie parallel to solitary confinement Mm -hmm. for our seniors. Yeah. And they haven't committed any crime. Isn't that sad? But for folks, it feels like, and people actually living with dementia are frequently in facilities are often saying, I don't understand why am I in prison? Because we talk about this being unprecedented, but uh, no one has experienced an infection or uh, uh, a, a, a risky situation that goes on for almost a year without any visible impact. I mean, people living with dementia can't see what's happening in the world. And if they watch TV, heaven forbid, then everything's scary and awful and anxiety and fear is really high. Um, so it's it's a really terrible situation where almost everything they do is passive, except they're supposed to keep themselves alive. Deepa, we've, we've spent a few minutes talking about this, and, and so far it's all been uh, negative. We haven't had a chance to delve into the fact that families who are uh, sort of third, uh, they're sort of the volunteer care staff at many of these facilities, and they can't go in. But but let's try and leave people with um, some ideas, some hope. What, what can families do? Is there anything? Well, there is. And one is to form partnerships with the care staff and not not get frustrated, but to offer. So, oh, so tell me when you're going to be in my mom's room, because I'll call then, because maybe the problem is mom doesn't know how to get the cell phone to work or maybe mom doesn't know how to open the Zoom. So if we can negotiate that she has the help she needs during the moments that I could be there. And then as a family member, the other thing is develop new skills. So let me try something with you. Um, Let me try this. Greg, 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 it's Tipa. Greg, Greg, can you find the screen? Look at the screen, Greg. Greg, what does that make you want to do? Just 
<laughs> well, if I was able, I would get up and probably leave. <laughs> or turn off whatever it is that's making that noise. Shut up. Yeah. yeah. What is what if that? Instead, what if instead I did, oh, Greg, wow, there you are. Look, I'm over here. Turn, turn. Yeah. Well, hey. Well, that sounded much more engaging. Oh, so as a family member, one of the things I may find I have to do is build my skill, my tool set of engaging with someone long distance when I used to engage up close and personal, um, offering visual things. So maybe rather than talking, we, oh, hey, hey, Greg, I want to show you something. And what I do is I know you're a photographer, for instance, and so I might pull my Zoom up and I might have done a PowerPoint play of some of the photos you've taken and I'll show you like the hummingbird picture and what what do, you, what do you think you'd do if you saw your hummingbird picture probably be excited because they are my favorite little bird so it, yeah. it would it would trigger automatically for me look what I found and now did you do this or is this someone else's picture ah a little question asking a little trying yeah. to get me to engage oh now when is this one a ruby throated or a rufus because i know you know which one is it? which one is it? how do you know which part of the bird so now what i'm getting you to do is look critically at the picture and and then share with me and even if you're just pointing out oh so the throat yeah with or without words but what that means is i'm learning to communicate in new ways Having to think outside the box too. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a facility that's very close to where we live. And what they did at Christmas was they had area residents of the town that we live in send cards to the care homes, Christmas cards. They're doing it again for Valentine's. Already they're reaching out and asking the community to send mm -hmm. Valentine's. Great yeah, ideas. Snail mail, the old thing that we all used to do is when we like someone, we send a card. When we put a message in the card. And I would also say people in the communities, in facilities, if I gave you a box of cards, if your ability was to put cards in envelopes, then I get the cards ready and you put the cards in the envelopes. If you could pull a sticker label off and stick it on the envelope, well, then you do that. And we mail these cards out to kids. We mail them out to families. We... So we start looking at, I supply the goodies, I send them in and see who on the staff might be willing to spend five minutes with my mom, uh, helping her do this because I'm fairly certain she can do this. I'm not positive, but let's try it. What the heck? Tifa, um, so we're being challenged as, as care partners mm -hmm. to think outside the box. It's, it's, it's gloom and doom and everything else like that. But yes, there are some things that you can do. So what are one or two things that we can suggest that people take away from our conversation today? Number one, start looking at what somebody's abilities are in this moment. And if they have changed, I hate it. I'm sorry, but let's acknowledge where they are right now and let's start creating opportunities that match their current abilities, not get frustrated and angry that they aren't what they used to be. And start off with some fairly simple things that are relatively repetitive, but also relatively easy. So if it doesn't work, I haven't put a lot of time, effort, or energy into it. So I'm not so frustrated that it didn't work. Um, the second is who else is on my team? Who can I bring onto the team? who might be a partner of some sort, even if it's just a five minute help. Um, looking around and trying to find out who's friendly 
or who might be friendly or who's willing to take that step with me so that I have a way to connect because it is a scary thing to not be able to be present, but I have to be sensitive, time is time. So looking at what are some little things I could send mom that might have value, send my husband, say to my husband and watch and build our skill in tone of voice and visual cueing, maybe would be my two. Tipa, thank you very much. Thanks, Greg. You've been listening to the Dementia Care Partner podcast series.